From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and self-acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is Lindsay, an intersex lesbian, parent of two, and Instagram influencer. Hey, how are you? I am great. How are you tonight? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me, and hello, Transgender Show and Transverse. Well, thank you so much for being willing to come on and share your story. It helps a lot of people, and we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So first off, for the record, how do you identify? What are your preferred pronouns? So my preferred pronouns are she, her, and I identify as intersex and trans um, and a lesbian, like you mentioned. So, um, But I do take the identity of intersex uh, along with trans. And then the fun one I like to start with here, how did you choose your name? Ooh, that's a good question. There's more backstory to my middle name and why I chose that. But I had like three or four names that I just really liked, that I just have always liked. And you know, when you're sort of transitioning, you like trying to make sure you don't know people with that name. So it's not like awkward if you like have a bunch of people in your social circle that have the same name as you. So I had... Uh, several names, but Lindsay was always at the top of my list. And uh, my wife also liked it. So it was a, it was a done deal. Yeah. Once you get the vote of approval from her, then, then you're set. So as you stated in your bio, um, you were born phenotypically male, um, but with the XX chromosomes. So, and you've mentioned being intersex. Can you describe for people out there that aren't familiar with what being intersex means uh, and maybe that term phenotypically male um, so that we can all be on board with um, what that means entirely? Absolutely. So the term intersex is a very like broad term. Uh, it's an umbrella term that describes uh, medical conditions that are not like associated with a typical like binary sex. So it can be um, differences in uh, genitalia, reproductive organs, or in my case, uh, chromosome abnormalities. Um, and what it means when it says phenotypically male is that for the first almost 30 years of my life, I appeared to be by all accounts, a pretty typical um, male and was assigned male at birth. Um, but internally, it was a different story. I have a lot of uh, other things going on inside. And uh, biologically speaking, uh, my chromosome uh, abnormality aligns with that of a woman. Now, a piece of information that I came across, um, you know, I, I also said in your bio that you have two wonderful kids. A piece of information I came across said that, um, I, I can't remember, I believe it said that intersex people, that XX chromosome people are sterile. Um, is misinformation like that uh, common? And does it affect how you're able to um, basically basically affect how people perceive you and how you're able to kind of describe yourself? I think a little bit. I mean, I think the hardest part in the intersex community is that it is such a wide term and it describes so many different conditions that, um, and some of these conditions are incredibly rare. Um, my condition, I think, kind of falls in the middle. It's it's more rare, but it's not like one of the more ultra rare uh, conditions you might see. And because of that, you know, some people don't want to talk about it, right? It's just kind of like the identity of when 
you're a trans person, sometimes there's shame that goes with it. Sometimes people just don't want to have to discuss it in public with anyone. Um, and there's a lack of research in the field, for sure. There's a lack of, um, I would say, reliable information out there. There's some good organizations that are right now trying to work against that um, and put out good information. And hopefully mm -hmm. in the future, there'll be more uh, more reliable information that paints a, a better picture of the community. Has being genetically female helped in, in any way in your description of yourself to cis people or um, in their adoption and, and acceptance? So I would, I would say for the most part, it has not. Um, I think probably a lot of people watching the show and, and all of us in the trans community can relate to how complicated it can be to try to explain um, what being transgender means to a cisgender individual. And mm -hmm. sometimes there's a learning curve there and they don't, they don't get it or they're confused sort of by the terminology or what, what that means. Um, and then when you throw on the term intersex, it's kind of like you just dig an even deeper hole huh. and you almost have to take it like one thing at a time. Like, like one of the, my coworkers, I ended up telling about this and I was sort of explaining all of it at one time. Uh, he stopped and he was like, what are chromosomes? And I'm like, this is going to be a long conversation. Let me get my notebook out. and uh, Let's get out the charts so, and graphs and, and we'll dive yeah. into that. Yeah. So I think, I think while it's a it's an interesting footnote, I I usually use my trans identity first hmm. when I am trying to explain to somebody sort of like my experiences, um, and then I do like to make mention of the intersex identity just mainly to raise awareness for the community. Um, hmm. It's one of those things that you know it's not a true like identity because it's referring to assigned sex, but some people do take that identity to just raise awareness and give more information about what it means to be intersex. Yeah, and I just wanted to bring that up. I find it super interesting, that fact that, I mean, I would think that a lot of people would find it easier to understand or accept because you've got the XX chromosome. So yes, you are female. It's just there was something happened and, and you're, external shell developed a certain way but your your body was you know is female so it seems like it would be easier for people to understand and accept it's just kind of weird that that intersex term itself just like you said digs you into a deeper hole that uh, makes it harder for people to understand yeah i i think too when you have when you have a population that might want to see the world in black and white that anything that's sort of like deviates from that is is just going to confuse them whether that's being trans or intersex so i think there's a lot of similarities there um to where people just don't want to try to understand something that either challenges their worldview or they don't quite they don't quite understand mm -hmm. so um when did you realize that you had this condition i mentioned in the bio that it was later in life what was it that brought about that awareness and that um unveiling that yeah, so I was, um, it was around six or seven years ago now, and um, I had struggled with uh, kind of your typical um, gender dysphoria for, you know, your whole life with different 
issues that had presented itself throughout, um, you know, childhood, teen years, that sort of thing. But um, I had some other health issues that were uh, presenting itself and um, they were having a hard time identifying some things that were going on with my, my blood work. There was a lot of blood work issues that was coming up where levels were out of whack and they couldn't <laughs> explain why. And um, sort of one of those things where they just keep sending you for more and more tests and more and more tests. And eventually someone ordered a chromosomal karyotype to get down to sort of the nuts and bolts and see if there's something there. And sure enough, there was. And there was this abnormality there. And um, that was when I was officially diagnosed. Hmm. And with that diagnosis, what did that bring about? Was that was that a relief, or um, was it primarily just kind of a shock, or was it probably somewhere in between? Yeah, it was. It was probably somewhere in between. Um, you know, in the one hand, it's like there was like a lot of anger uh, that I went through at that time. I was still actively rebelling against like. I'm not going to be able to transition. I'm not going to be able to do this socially. I'm not going to be able to do this from my family perspective. And there was a lot of um, anger about like all these sort of like times I told myself, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. It's like, you just kind of get hit upside the head with literally like a test. And it's like, no, you're right. Like there's a reason that all these things have been happening for you, at least individually. And it just kind of was frustrating, you know, because um, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but I was raised in a very conservative home and that was, that was hard for me because there was not an area I could talk about stuff like this. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to accept it fully, accept this part of you and, and take it on as an identity that you then kind of stood behind and said, okay, we're going to do this. I would say that like from, I had sort of like minor acceptance I would say about five years ago where it's like I knew it was there and I knew this was sort of who I was but I wasn't like committed to doing anything about it at that point Mm -hmm. it's kind of like let me just see if I can fight through it and everything else and I I officially started my transition between three and four years ago so it was it was in you know been several years now when I fully said okay if I don't do something this is not going to end well and I need to I just need to move forward. I need to take those steps to move forward. Mm-hmm. How did it manifest itself for you? Um, you know, before you had this information, were you doing things like cross-dressing? Were there other things that were signs up until this point? I would say there was some pretty, you know, looking back, pretty obvious signs. Um, I, I was definitely cross-dressing. Uh, pretty regularly throughout, you know, my life, even into my childhood. Um, But being raised in a conservative household, it was always something I kept hidden. And it was a, you know, a secret from my parents and my family. And, um, you know, even like back to some of my earliest memories, I remember being in kindergarten and I got a doll uh, from a McDonald's Happy Meal by mistake. And it was a little Barbie doll. And I was so nervous that my parents were going to take that from me that I hid it under my bed and I kept it hidden for, I don't know how long, probably weeks or months and would break it out and play with it when I thought it was safe to do so. And um, so there was a lot of signs throughout the years. Hmm. Being that you mentioned that intersex is sort of a, 
I don't like using the term rare thing, but it's it's a little less known. Um, when you came to this realization, when you were given this information, did you have somebody to look to or to turn to, a role model or confidant, um, to help you with accepting or understanding what it meant to be intersex? So, you know, I there are some good organizations that I looked at early on. Um, Interact and Intersex Justice Project were two that were really prevalent online. Um, but even within those organizations, I had a hard time finding people that that sort of resembled, you know, what I was going through at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the reasons that I did choose to sort of like really wear that as almost like a badge of honor. Um, because for me going through that experience, I felt like I couldn't find anybody that really like had a similar like experience to me. And so I wanted to just sort of be that light for someone else if they were going through something similar, um, or they experienced something similar in that way. And so, um, it definitely was one of the things that motivated me to sort of, you know, set up like a public page to share information. Mm-hmm. And what have you been able to accomplish through that? What what sort of uh, mentorship or effect have you been able to have? Well, I hope I hope a decent one. Um, you know, I I haven't been like on a public page for as long as I I wish I maybe would have. Um, <laughs> you know, the first year, year and a half of of my transition, I really um, didn't have a huge social media presence uh, because I was just kind of in survival mode. Um, I would go on like Reddit once in a while and some of the intersex forums and trans forums that are on there and, you know, make some friends and uh, talk to people and that sort of thing. But um, throughout the the last, I would say, six, seven months of doing uh, my, my sort of public facing channel, I, I've met a lot of really great people. I've, I try to answer as many messages as I can of people who are like, I'm just struggling. I'm just going through some stuff. And what do you think? And it's hard, you know, when you're balancing work and life and all that to, to sort of play that role sometimes. But I think it's also super important, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great that you've been able to do that and you've been able to have a direct impact on people. You, when you talk about your public forum, you're, you mentioned you, um, you're speaking of Unlabeled Truth on Instagram, right? That's the one. <laughs> So shifting gears um, to how you came out then, um, you were you married at the time when you got the information from the blood work? I was, yeah. I've been uh, together with my wife for almost 16 years. So we've been married for, oh, she would murder me right now if she heard me thinking in my head, 13 years. Okay. Well, that's Married wonderful. for 13 years, hmm. together for 16 and so we were we were together when I when I transitioned. Mm-hmm. Did that make it easier to come out to her? Um, so was she along there, uh, along your side with all of that? Yeah, she she was a great support. Um, you know, there's certainly um, there's certainly some bumps in the road that come from when it's like real, right? Like it's like no, this is this is going to happen now. This is where we're where we're going. Um, and so we we did a lot of therapy. We had a lot of things to work through. And um, there were times that, like, you know, I was frustrated because I felt like I was moving too slow and I was 
sort of delaying aspects of my transition, but it was to let, you know, my wife and kids catch up. Mm-hmm. And there were times where I'm sure she probably felt like, oh, you're moving way too fast now. Like, you know, so it's just kind of that constant flow of communication and making sure that those lines are open to, to try to keep that healthy relationship going. Were you able to strike a good balance between those and keep things relatively smooth through that? For the most part, yeah. I mean, you know, I'd be lying if I said it was smooth sailing all the time. It's, you know, there's definitely bumps and uh, a lot of therapy that that went into that in those early months, especially because I think for any spouse, you know, it's like they want to be supportive, you know, and they want to be there, but they're also, you know, dealing with a lot of issues from, from their perspective, right? Like, you know, they didn't get a choice in it. They didn't get a say in whether yeah. or not you're trans, intersex or whatever. So they're, they really get dealt sort of a, a hard hand as well. And I think you kind of see a full spectrum of reactions, you know, in the community, right? There's like the extreme where the wife's like, nope, I'm out. Like yeah. I'm, I'm done. And then on the other side, you have, um, women who are like, you know, no, like I'm going to embrace you and I'm going to, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be your rock, you know? And, and I, I think my wife definitely leans more towards that, you know, being supportive and, and hanging in there for me when it mattered the most. Mm -hmm. You mentioned coming from a conservative family. How did you come out to them and um, what was their level of acceptance? How did that go? I threw a letter and I ran. No, (laughs) I um I sent an email um to to pretty much most of my family, um you know parents and grandparents and people who were you know still at least present in my life at the time and um I and I did that because I was really scared of their reaction. I wasn't in the best frame of mind at the time. I didn't think I could take you know a bunch of rejection and hate thrown at me and um. In hindsight, I I wouldn't change a thing. I I do it the same way. I would send them an email and say this is what's happening, and I hope you can be supportive. And and if not, then sorry, you know. I guess this is where we we draw the line, you know. And mm-hmm. um, it was it was a hard experience doing that in the culture and the environment I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Did you have problems with that within yourself, and then? um, with your, your wife as well? And the, um, I mean, the religious and and the kind of cultural background that you were brought up in? Absolutely. I mean, I think part of the, the acceptance aspect for somebody that grew up in a super conservative or religious background is you almost have to like challenge your own beliefs. Like, like, this is what I've been told for my whole life that's true. And, like, do I even believe that? And why would I or not believe that? And you go through this sort of, like, the mental theatrics of, like, deconstructing your own religious worldview because it's so indoctrinated uh, from childhood. I mean, I was sent to Christian schools and I was in church twice a week. And um, my parents were very strict religious uh, people. And... Um, I was told early on, you know, the first time I ever heard what a gay person was, was when I was in like junior high, high school. I mean, talk about a lack of information for somebody that was struggling with it on the inside. It's like, yeah, 
it was very clear to me early on that I was, you know, quote, going to hell if I even talked about this kind of stuff. So it was, it was definitely a lot of shame I had to work through and a lot of um, sort of deconstructing that religious background that I came from to, to even get to a self acceptance. And my wife also, um, Mm -hmm. you know, she's taken enough heat from her family and her side to, to last a lifetime, honestly. Yeah. So it sounds like in the church, you knew something was, uh, was different about you from the church perspective. Something was wrong with you at a fairly early age. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I definitely had, had an awareness that there was something like, I didn't feel right. You know, there was something not, you know, there, like I felt off. It's like, why I don't feel like I am who I am. And, um, and so that was a hard thing to process, especially not having the terminology, um, of, you know, what a trans person is and, and, you know, what intersex is and all these, you know, even non-binary, right. These terms didn't exist in the nineties mm-hmm. in a conservative church environment. They just didn't exist. And, um, I just knew whatever was wrong with me, was going to get me sent to hell based on what they were telling me. So all signs point to hell. Okay. Well, well great. All signs to hell. We're going, <laughs> we're going, we're just a matter of how fast. Right. Uh, so what was in coming out, what was your most difficult conversation or who was your most difficult person to approach? So it's, it's pretty hard. It's probably a tie between my parents and my wife's parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would give the edge to my wife's parents, right? Because there's still this element, um, that I want to be a good, you know, I want to be a good spouse for my wife. I want to be a good partner in life. I want to still do some of those things that I did before. And, you know, I, I work and I try to, you know, provide as best I can, you know, in that way. And she works too and tries to provide, you know, we're teammates. That's what we do. And, um, I was very nervous that, you know, her parents and and her family would actively try to, you know, get her out of the situation, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, forget this, like, let's go, you're out of here. And um, to a certain extent that that happened. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of hate thrown in those early months at me specifically. And um, I give her a lot of credit, she held her ground. And she's like, Nope, you know, you you keep talking like this, and, and I'm cutting ties with you. And, you know, again, like, when the world came crashing in, you know, it was like, you're sort of left with your, your people, you know, your core circle. Yeah. And it's amazing that she was that willing to, to be that rock for you there and, and to stick with you over everything else. That's, that's amazing. And I know we talked in the pre-interview about the fact that you have kids. And so the, the ties to the grandparents is really important. You want to have that, that relationship for your kids. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you're in a tough spot when, you know, with some of the things that were going on in those early months, it's, it would be easy if you're on your own just to be like, okay, I'll see you later. I will maybe come back and talk to you in like five years. I, you know, I don't need to deal with this right now, but yeah, when you have kids and that's their grandparents and they're already going through so much, you know, with what was happening with me and, and the transition, it's like, you just don't want to keep throwing curveballs at them. So mm-hmm. you're trying to do your best just to like, 
stabilize the situation and it's hard. Do you have any single piece of advice for, uh, you mentioned communication. Was there anything else that was a major key in bringing your wife along and making it easy on her and, and basically holding the relationship together? You know, just honesty. Um, for me, I would say that I did that well sometimes and I didn't do it well other times. Um, I was very open with her at the beginning of our relationship that I had some struggles in this area and I didn't know why. And I was sort of, I was very open in that context, but the more it got, the harder it got for me to keep kind of moving forward in my current life and the way I was at that time, uh, sort of that previous version. Um, yeah. I wasn't as honest when it was getting really bad and really dark, you know, she didn't see how bad I was self-destructing in those moments. And I chose not to share it because, you know, you're just like, I just got to figure this out. I got to try to deal with this. And you don't want to say anything. So yeah, you don't want to um, pile on to the just, emotion that's already there, right? Yeah. Honesty through the whole process as best you can. Mm -hmm. So what does transition look like for you? And um, I, I know it's just a perspective thing, but do you feel like there's anything key that's particularly different for someone who's intersex versus someone who's trans? Well, I know from my perspective, probably one of the biggest differences is I feel like I have a lot more blood tests. <laughs> so uh, I hate needles too. So it's kind of like cruel irony. It's like, oh, get your blood drawn once a month or however many times I got to go do it. Um, yeah, my levels can kind of go out of whack. Uh, that's that's sort of a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. um, as far as an advantage, um, I, I don't know if there's like an advantage that I could point to. I, I always felt like I was able to sort of adapt as best as I could in this role. And, and you know, given the, the massive change everybody goes through when they go through something like this. And so um, some people have asked me if that's, you know, because I was intersex or whatever. And I, I don't know the answer to that. So mm -hmm. I would say, I would say I don't have a problem with being intersex, but I wish I didn't have to get poked with needles as much. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think a lot of people would say that. <laughs> um, so how far along are you in your process? And along the line, have your goals shifted? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in the first early, like, third or so of my transition, it was really just surviving. <laughs> um, I think sort of that middle uh, middle time was really just, like, kind of becoming more comfortable with who I was, my mm -hmm. appearance, my style, sort of, like, learning all those things that you don't get, you know, when you're growing up and get to go through the awkward teen years, you get to do it as an adult, which is fun. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> I sort of know how to put on makeup, but I sort of don't. So like learning all that stuff is a challenge. Um, yeah. Second but now, is a, a joy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can be a, it can be a real treat. Um, but now I think it's really being like present and like trying to figure out like how I can best utilize what has happened in my life to best leverage that for my family, my community and sort of the people around me. Um, and trying to make it like a positive. I mean, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, I'm proud of who I am. And, um, 
but my transition sucked. It really did. It was terrible. And there's a lot of crap that happened that I hope people don't have to go through. And if I can turn this into some positive things that happen down the road, I'll, it'll help sort of even myself therapeutically feel like, oh, that's awesome, like that we were able to get to this point. What have you been able to accomplish specifically because you're trans or what are you hoping to accomplish because of that fact? So in my current job where I am, I work for a college and um, I'm in, a, in the marketing department at a college and I serve as an officer of, um, of a, an advocacy group for not only the staff, but all the students. And it reaches over 100,000 students. Um, Wow. It's a huge reach. And, you know, I provide a lot of perspective to that group. Um, I'm the only person who is intersex and trans on that group. I'm actually the only trans person as well. So there's no representation from this community on that group. And I think it's important because, you know, as a as an 18 year old student going to college, right? Like if you know there's a there's an equality group at your school that's striving for you know, the LGBTQ plus advocacy. It's like, you want to see yourself in that. You want to see that visibility that like, you're okay. Like you're accepted. There's a safe space here for you. Um, And that's definitely like a kind of a unique perspective that I can bring to that group. And just given my background sort of lend my, my marketing skills as best I can to them. Mm -hmm. What are some of the key fears you ran up against in your transition and how have you overcome those? So the first fear was I was going to lose everything. I was going to lose everyone, you know, yeah. uh, my job and my, my, my family and my, my marriage. Um, and, you know, some of those have come through and some of those haven't. Um, I think you start realizing really quick, though, what's important and who's important. And just because somebody has a title uh, or maybe a biological status as a family member, um, it doesn't mean that they hold power over you. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you always hear the expression like family is family, you know, at the end of the day. But it's like sometimes for people in this community, it's really like, no, your family is like your chosen family. It's the people you know that you can count on when you need them. And that can be elements of your intermediate family. And then also like friends and confidants that you meet along the way. So, mm-hmm. um, that's a huge important thing that I had to learn early on um, that losing some people out of your family wasn't actually a bad thing. It was sort of like, it ended up being a positive for me. That's an important perspective to have, especially to be able to maintain some positivity because it's something that we all face and we all struggle with. Um, So what do you do in your life to find validation in yourself and in your identity what are some of the fun things that you get to do that just make you feel euphoric i love getting my nails done i just got them done the other day so that's something that i do you know i try to do as much like of those little self-care things um as i can you know um i love just going to get my hair done when it's time to get my hair done like those are just fun validating things that several years in haven't gotten old for me. So, um, so yeah, just making sure that 
as busy as life can get, um, setting aside a little bit of time to sort of do whatever it is that you're passionate about. You can relax, you can de-stress. Those types of things are super important. These days, what causes you to stumble against dysphoria? What brings that about? Um, well, hearing myself on video causes <laughs> that sometimes. So Access. one of the things like, yeah, when we were talking about doing this, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to face my fear and I'm going to, I'm going to do like a little podcast and do this show and try to get my voice out there type of thing. So, um, operating like in a digital realm that I normally do, it's easy to sort of hide behind my computer and do stuff and <laughs> not, you know, take the, take the video camera out and get the, get the face out there. So, um, so that's just, that's been some dysphoria. I'm a little taller. I'm 5'10". Uh, and I've lost a lot of weight over the last four or five years. And so there's times that maybe it's reality, maybe it's not, but I think there's certain parts of my body or certain things that I'm like, that doesn't look right or that's not like so out of proportion. And you just like cause yourself to spiral a little bit. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, you just try to find ways to like ground yourself as best you can. And I think it just takes time, you know, it's like early on, there's a lot more of that, I think. And then as you kind of keep going, there's a certain point where you just hit a phase and you're like, I just don't give a crap anymore what people think. Like, I'm going to do my life and screw everyone. It's the perfect atti attitude to have. So um, what have been some of the biggest learning curves you've had in your transition and how, um, you know, the things that you've had to get used to? You know, one of the biggest learning curves for me early on was really learning about the entire community, um, not just like trans issues or intersex issues, but non-binary uh, people and uh, people in the lesbian and gay communities. Um, because I was so like brought up away from that, like I just didn't know like the history of those communities. And so it's it's taken me a long time to really catch up on a lot of that history. Uh, that's really important for anybody I think that's new is to like look at people who have come before them and what they've done and those contributions because it really, it gives you kind of a sense of like amazement, like how did they go through what they did? Because it was even worse back then. And then it just kind of helps motivate me personally. So. Um, that was a huge learning curve. Um, <laughs> hair, makeup, all the normal stuff is a huge learning curve. I'm super clumsy. I spill all the time. And learning how to put on eyeliner was like, it was like trying to learn how to do like a surgical technique for me. So <laughs> the the early years of, uh, of Lindsay eyeliner were not very good. What um what has been the favorite thing that you've learned on your journey? Hmm, that's a that's a hard question. My favorite thing I have learned. Just don't feel ashamed of who you are because of other people. Um too often we evaluate ourselves through the lens of other people and just because 
they're uncomfortable with trans people or they don't know what the word intersex means or they don't know what non-binary is. It's like we almost try to conform to what they want and just be comfortable with who you are. If you want to present feminine, present feminine. If you want to present masculine, present masculine. It's okay to have a range of expressions within the same individual and be proud of who you are. I mean, that's, I just can't say it enough. It's like, for me personally, I was, I feel like I was almost like manipulated over the years with my religious upbringing to always feel ashamed of who I was. And years after undoing that with therapy, it's like, now I'm like, no, don't let people do that to you. How do you feel that transitioning has affected your mental health? It's made it so much better. Um, you know, I was in a place before I transitioned that finally brought me to a place of transitioning that um, I, I was just ready to, I was ready in my life. I was, I was depressed. I weighed 326 pounds. I was abusing food and substances and just doing a lot of self-destructive things. And mm -hmm. I was okay end of my life. I, I at that point in time, I had, I had given up. I was ready to give up. And um, I can say that that's never been a thought that's crossed my mind, you know, in recent memory, you know, since I've transitioned. It's like I'm comfortable now and I have a reason to keep moving forward and to, to, to be here. Um, so it really does. Transitioning does save lives and, you know, um, the groups that are out there right now that are pushing that anti, you know, trans narrative are really doing a lot of damage to young people. It's really sad. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of us, a lot for us to fight against right now. And it's, it's not like the fight isn't hard enough already, but I think we're strong enough. Oh yeah. Stronger, stronger than they realize. Especially now that our, our numbers are, we're, we're kind of coalescing our numbers in a, in a good way. Absolutely. Yeah. I, the more visible we are and the more awareness we raise, the more we give people a door to walk through that feel this way and know that's who they are, but maybe just didn't feel safe enough. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's going to be the difference, you know, is like those people coming out and saying, okay, like I feel safe now because of what this group did or what this group did or whatever. And those numbers rising just, lead to better results for all of us as a, as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned that metaphor of the, the door and helping them walk through it. And it's like, yeah, so many of us didn't even realize there was a door for a long time. Only fire in hell. <laughs> yep. Where all the signs were pointing, that was all you could see. So as yeah. we wrap up this section, what advice do you have to pass on to young or closeted trans people out there? You know, don't, don't compare yourself to somebody that's transitioned for four or five years. Um, it's a trap I got into early on in my transition. And I think we all do it. We, especially as women, we compare, you know, we, <laughs> we look at each other and we say, Oh, well, she looks like this and she looks like this. And early on in my transition, I, I really struggled with the comparison thing and um, take it one day at a time. Don't feel like you need to rush the process. It's your process and how you're comfortable. So um, don't 
rush it because you think you got to get somewhere quicker. It's like, you'll get there. You know, the process works. You'll get there. It might not be overnight, but you get there. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from The Transverse Network. Watch this show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash the transverse. You can also find it and our other great shows at youtube.com slash the transverse. Be sure to follow our guest, Lindsay, on Instagram at Unlabeled Truth. If you love what we're doing and want to support the transverse and get access to exclusive content, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash the transverse.